G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to a very special Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Political rage, extreme violence, global epidemics, intense warfare, growing famine, increased natural disasters, economic systems faltering, families divided. Our world seems to be spinning out of control. Faster and faster, problems keep piling up, issues so complex and sides so entrenched, everyone is shouting and no one is listening. Right condemned as wrong, wrong now praised as right. The world seems to be coming apart at the seams. It appears civilization is on the brink. Are we approaching the end of the world? Join Dr. Michael Youssef cultural anthropologist, pastor and author for a frank discussion on today's world events. Here's your host, Jane Robolo. And if the world is indeed beginning to come apart, are Christians called to try and stitch it back together again? Welcome to this special episode of Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Dr. Youssef, it's not only Christians who are feeling these times. Many non-believers are even kind of saying, what's happening in the world? I just want normal again. Sure. Do you feel like we are in the end times? I do. And I am not what all of our audience and my friends who watch on a regular basis known as an end-time preacher. Uh, I don't have the charts and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, people have specialized in that, and that's wonderful. But I have come to the conclusion, particularly from just studying the words of Jesus and the indications that he gave us, without having to take a passage from here and a passage from there and then build a system about the return of Christ. But everything that I have read, our Lord Jesus said, will be taking place immediately before his return. Then confirmed again by First and Second Thessalonians, because Paul did not make that stuff up when he told the Thessalonians about the return of Christ and the end times. He learned it from Jesus, the words of Jesus transmitted to him by the apostles. And so he looks at the whole scripture, he looks at the words of Jesus, and then he delineates some things that we need to know, things that we see. Well, we know one thing. The world is linear. History is linear. And it has a beginning. In the Garden of Eden, that was the beginning where God created man. And that scroll goes all the way to the time when he ends it. And that's why in Revelation he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning, the one who created it, and I'm the, one, the end, and the one who bring it all to an end. I am the beginning and the end. And I, I will say he's also everything in between. But nonetheless, that's what he said. That's how he described himself. He's the beginning and he's the end. And therefore, everything that the Bible tells us about the world coming to an end is real, is true, And we're seeing things we've never seen in history, really, not just our lifetime, because everybody builds their thoughts and philosophies on their lifetime. He can't do that. You have to look at the entire scope of history, particularly 2,000 years of Christian history, and the ups and the downs and the dark ages and the Reformation and everything else. 
Well, we're seeing things and signs that our Lord Jesus said will be taking place immediately before his return that we have never seen before. You take a country like United States of America and what we're going through, uh, you look at Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Africa, everywhere, it's global. Everything we see. I remember years ago when I was a young pastor and I was reading Revelation 18, where it talks about the merchants of the world. Even then, this is the 60s and the 70s, the merchants of the world will be crying out and wailing over the loss of... And how can a world can be so interconnected? Look at us. 30 years later, it is totally interconnected. Yes. And so, so many things that are globally connected that we see now, we could not have seen only a few years ago. So I am personally convinced that we are coming. I'm not saying it is here, but at least... The spirit of lawlessness has begun. What other signs do you see that are different? I mean, I can imagine pre-World War II and during World War II, there must have been people saying, is this the end? Yes. What's different now? Okay, I'll tell you why I am convinced, because of the words of Jesus. You know, when you think about him telling us that there's going to be an apostasy, that is, a global apostasy, Apostasy. That Define is, apostasy. I will. <laughs> that is, people who have known or claimed to be Christians turn their back on the Christian faith. This is not the atheists and the agnostics and the people who never knew Jesus. This is going to be people in the church. And when you think that all the statistics have been showing that between 60 to 70% of evangelicals in America, this is evangelicals, let alone Catholics and others, Protestants, believe that there's more ways to God than Jesus. Mm. And you know the world is being prepared for that apostasy has already started. And that's one of the things that anchors my conviction that we're coming in the end. Those are the words of Jesus. He said it's going to be so bad that in Matthew 24, 24, he said it will be so bad that if possible, and now some people misunderstand me, and they'll say, oh, Michael is saying that the elect will be deceived. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. It's going to be so bad that even if it is possible, some of the elect are going to be deceived. Mm. That's how bad it's going to be. And you look now at churches where pastors have preached the gospel for 10, 20 years, and then they're coming out, and the big thing now is they're going through deconstruction that they are now longer believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're turning their back. And then they're leading a lot of other people all with them and straight into hell. And that has begun. We're seeing it with our own eyes. And it seems to be moving pretty quickly. Fast. I have a neighbor, a prominent businessman, retired. He's an amazing guy, and he's not a believer. He, you know, but we're good friends, and I share Christ with him. But he's, as me said, but why is happening so fast? Things are going out of control so fast. I mean, he, in his secular mind, is so frustrated. And I said, without knowing Jesus and without knowing that things are going to happen fast, they start slowly, but then they speed up, you will be frustrated and you'll be angry and you will never have an answer. Only in Christ will you be able to have that peace that passes understanding. Now, we had earthquakes, we had famines, and we've had all these things, diseases, and throughout history. But Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 24 that is absolutely astounding to me. He talks about a thief in the night. 
his return, for those who don't know him, it's going to be a shock, a surprise, like a thief coming at night, and they didn't even sense there is a thief in the house or even coming. And then he talks about the labor pains. Right. Labor pains for the believers. They are the ones who are aware of these labor pains are coming in, and they, they always have been there, but then they go into faster and faster intervals. The contractions. The contractions. And supply. That is it. That's it. And Jesus said that in Matthew 24, that when you see those labor pains coming in closer and closer intervals, be prepared. The big event is about to happen, and Christ is about to return. And so if I have a message and pleading with people is, please turn your eye upward and look to heaven. Don't get all fizzled out and frizzled over all these events and things look like out of control. Now, never forget that Jesus has his foot on Satan's neck. Mm. Now, Satan is fighting hard. He wants to bring the Antichrist because he wants to usurp glory to himself because the Antichrist is his creation. That's his ultimate creation, a character that he has prepared to rule the world. And so forth. he wants to do this but not until Jesus says so. In fact, Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, he's being restrained right now. And when that restrainer pulls his hand off, then all of these things are going to happen. And the reason I spend every waking moment trying to figure out how to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, how to, is because I believe this is near. And, uh, and I'm urging people, I got my knees and beg people to come to Christ because when the time comes and that door shut, like the Bible said, God shut the door of the ark of Noah. He's going to shut that door and mercy has gone forever. I'm so glad you I can I can fall apart in tears. Yes, because it's horrifying. Yeah. Once it happens, it happens and no more mercy. Mercy is now. Grace is now. The opportunity is now. But when that day comes, that door of mercy is closed. And the merciful Christ who died on that cross is going to be the judge sitting on the bench and holding us accountable. For the non-believers, going to be the judgment of hell. For the believers, are going to have a different opportunity to account in terms of their rewards. But that's a different thing. For that now, therefore, there is no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the time to give this condemnation up and receive his commendation. I can't imagine anything more horrible than Jesus looking at me and saying, I don't know you. Yes. And yet, that's what he said that's going to happen. When someone said, but you did this, and we did this, and we did this for you. I don't know you. I don't know you. And the person can literally do charitable work 24-7, all of their life. It's not going to get you to heaven. Only Jesus will get you to heaven. And the only way to know Jesus, and he will know you, is when you come to him and say, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. I'll live my life to honor and serve you. You mentioned that when the door of the ark, of Noah's ark, closed. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. God destroyed the world once. Yeah. Will it be similar? No, he said he will not do that again with floods. Yeah. But Jesus talks about the fire that will not die, and the worms that will not die. So there's ongoing, ongoing, ongoing 
day in and day out, suffering. The very wonderful things that we see, the sun is shining in the morning and the moon at night and the air and the, we breathe and the grass and, and all the wonderful things, the rain that comes to nourish the earth, all of that's gone. All of that's gone. It will be utter darkness, 24-7, utter darkness, utter loneliness. You know, one of those uh, scallywags who said, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't mind going to hell. I'm going to hang out with all interesting people. And uh, they're not be interesting. You're not going to hang out with anybody because you're going to be absolutely solitary confinement according to the Word of God, utter darkness, all alone. All you do is burning in contemplation about all the rejection that you have expressed to Christ and to His open hands of welcoming you and telling you to come and you say, no, no, no. You're going to spend the rest of that eternity just agonizing in pain and suffering over this decision that you made right here. What about the sheep and the goats? Yes. Jesus talks about yeah. there'll be that day when the shepherd will separate the sheep and the goats. Right. What does that mean exactly? Not only that, because I'll tell you that first, and I'm going to yeah, tell yeah. you two other things that he said about that. You see, to the non-discerning eyes, you get a city slicker, for example, and he looks at the sheep and the goats, and from a distance, they all look alike. And there are many people in the churches who pretend to be Christians, that they're not real believers, but they're in the church. They like Christian people, hang around Christians, and, uh, but he knows exactly who's the sheep and who's the goat, who's the pretender, who's the real one, who's his own. But also Jesus said that the world is like a field where he planted his seed, his word, and the wheat has grown. Mm. The believers are the wheat. But then Satan comes in right in the same field that's in the churches. He will plant tares or weeds. And sometimes they're together and you look and you say, you know, which one is what? And in fact, Jesus said, don't try to separate them. Wait until the, the angels come from heaven. They're going to bundle the wheat. They know exactly how to separate them. Just as separate sheep and goats, you're going to be separating wheat from weeds. And the wheat that is his children are going to be gone to the barns that is the place of heaven. And then the others will be thrown into the fire. And so that separation, that will great separation is going to take place on that day. And there's no one going to doubt that. Michael, are younger generations, younger people less willing to embrace the concept that we may be in the end times than older people? I mean, is there a, a consequence of age? Like, yeah. I've lived long, and yeah. so, okay, you can come now, sure. Jesus? Yeah. Yes, I is, think and, that's and true. social media have anything to do with yes, that? Yes, I think that is true, because also with the secular mind, which is meaning this life, and we even have preachers in the pulpits who are preaching about this life, this life, this life, everything about this life, and therefore, younger generation growing up hearing preachers only saying your best life is now, and all you can do is now, and if you're positive, you'll get good things happen to you, and all this stuff. I mean, that's, we're growing up with that, and therefore, we fail to keep our eyes on the return of Christ. And yet, C.S. Lewis made it very clear. That's it. For those who have accomplished great things in this life, the most are the ones who had their eyes on the life the next. Mm. And he said, those who keep their eyes on this earth, they lose both heaven and earth, but those who keep their eye on heaven, they will get both heaven and earth thrown in. It's a joy-filled life. Absolutely. You know, people shouldn't, you know, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't know that I really want to be a Christian. I don't yeah. want to have to give up everything. But, yeah. but what we gain 
yeah. is so much more than any of those earthly things could ever fill us with. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's why you see people when they come to Christ, they say, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I do that early? I have so many people who say that to me. And I said, you know, people told you that this is a great life. This is a joyful life. And I feel sorry, really, because the, Satan has blinded them. And uh, they think that, that the Christian life is miserable. Only if they just know the truth that there's such joy in walking with the Lord. But they also could have looking at people who are not really true believers. Mm. And they said they saw the legalistic people and the Pharisaic people. And they said, oh, I don't want this. Don't look at anybody else. Look at Jesus. And you will know what a joyful life it is to be in Christ. And we see that every day at Leading the Way. I mean, it is such inspiration to me always when we hear from listeners overseas, especially in countries where Christianity is illegal, where you literally stand to lose your life. And the persecution is so real. Yet the joy of those believers, even in the face of death, is overwhelming. I know it. I had a big crusade uh, 10 years ago in Indonesia, and there was an evangelist who was bringing buses of people, and they, terrorists went in his house and said, we're going to kill you if you take more buses to that crusade. And uh, so he showed up on that third night with three buses of people. And so uh, Jonathan, my son, was interviewing him, and he said to him, he said, well, you're not afraid? He said, no, if they kill me, I go to Jesus. Wow. Great joy in his face. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, here we are. If we don't get a good parking space, we don't go to church. If it's <laughs> raining, we don't go to church. And this guy thinks it's a great joy to die for Jesus. But I often say it is more difficult to live for Jesus than to die for mm-hmm. Jesus. I mean, I'm happy to die for Jesus now, anytime. But it's harder for me every day, put off the flesh, put on the spirit every day to literally die to self and live for Christ. And so the discipleship, life of discipleship for Christ and in Christ is truly a joyful life on the one hand, but it's also is a disciplined life on the other. That's a powerful thing to hear you say, honestly. I know how you love the Lord. Yes. I see how you live for Him. For you to say, I have to intentionally every day leave self Yep. Behind, right. it's an encouragement yeah. for the rest of us, honestly. I, 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 it daily, I'd say to the Lord, I quote John the Baptist, you must increase, I must decrease. Mm. That means I'm going to put things that, you know, down my pride, my arrogance, my propensity toward, you know, taking credit for things, all these things that I must die to in order that Christ be glorified. And that is the purpose of life. I'm not saying that... You know, I'm going to put the guilt on people. You've got to live like I do. But I'm just saying for me that I'm daily dying to self and living for Christ is a challenge, but also with the power of the Holy Spirit. I say, I can't do it. I say, I'm going to do it, and I'm right. going to try to do it. And I say, Lord, you know, that's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. And God says, I'll give you my spirit to empower you to do that. So without his power, we did in the water. Michael, as we hear you talk about Jesus' words about the end times. Yes. And the fact that you believe that it is near, what do you admonish people to do? I mean, should we worry over famines that may occur from the the Russia's war on Ukraine? And how do we look at all of these things and and process that day by day? Sure. 
Well, Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the, I mean, he, he's going to provide. Mm. He's going to provide for his own. And even Habakkuk, when he said, the righteous shall live by faith, in the middle of all the things that he's saying, the horrible things are going to happen with the Babylonian exile, Habakkuk said, but the righteous shall live by faith, meaning God is going to take care of the righteous in the midst of all that. And that is the verse that actually ignited the Reformation with Martin Luther, wow. uh, the righteous shall live by faith. And so don't live in worry. Don't live in fear. God has provided. He will provide. God does not bless his children based on what the Dow Industrial Average is doing or what the stock market is doing. Now he's going to bless his children regardless of what the world event is uh, taking place. You mentioned the Reformation. Might we see another Reformation? Might we see some big global evangelism happening? It is the cry of my heart that we see an awakening before the return of Christ. I'm dedicating myself to doing that myself, going on the road and preaching and, and wanting to see an awakening, a revival of people's eyes are open and repent of their sins and come to Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. So that's a longing of my heart. Now, whether it will happen in my lifetime or happen at all, it doesn't matter. John Wesley is the one who said this. He said, I pray and live as if Christ coming this afternoon. But I plan as if he's not coming for 100 years. Mm. And so, you know, to me, that's a great model. I live, I pray, I'm longing for his return, but I'm also planning evangelistic events all over the world, literally, uh, in 2023, and uh, as well as taking the gospel through the media. And so if God sends a great awakening, wonderful. If he doesn't, he comes back, wonderful. And this is, this is the great thing about the Christian life. I'm cool one way or the other. I mean, it's like kids would say, I'm cool. <laughs> Whichever happens, I'm fine. Yeah. Well, I think people are going to be very excited to know, Michael, that everything that we have talked about right now, you have put together in a book. Right. And the book is, Is the End Near? Yes. And the answer is very clearly yes. We've been discussing this. Yep. I have to say, it is an incredible book. You go into great detail about what some of these signs are that right. we see right now. There are parts in there that we could be a little bit afraid of. Sure. But really, it's all about hope. Yeah. And it's about Jesus. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, what inspired you to finally pull all of this together and put it in a book? Well, I wrote this book because I believed, as I studied Matthew 24 and 25 particularly, and after Jesus says all about these things and about the birth pangs and so on, and then he goes in and talks about the parable of the ten virgins. One had the oil, one didn't. They both, in the same time, they both went to sleep. They both have so many similarities. It's like people who go to the same church. But one is prepared for the return of Christ and one isn't. Mm. And so I wanted to use this book not only to ignite hope in the life and the heart of the believers, but also warn the non-believers to take opportunity of this is the day of salvation, come to him. And so it is my prayer. This is, I consider this, and people probably heard me say this before, but this one is the most important book simply because of its uh, inevitability of what's going to happen. Mm. And therefore, the, the warning, the, the pleading, uh, and the lifting up of that hope that you can live joyful and the world will be falling apart and the government doing all kinds of things and the political parties and this and that and the other thing. And you can say, well, I'm, I know what's going to happen. I have hope in Christ. My hope is 
built on nothing less than Christ's righteousness. And therefore, I don't worry. I don't live in fear. So that book is going to really bless all young, old, everybody in between. And so that book is going to be really a blessing to a lot of people. Well, it was a blessing to me to read it. And I encourage each one of you to get your own copy and a few more. You're going to want to give it to friends. As history appears to be drawing to a close, many people are experiencing distress and panic at alarming rates. But as believers, we don't have to fear the end. In Dr. Youssef's latest book, Is the End Near?, you will see how we can use God's Word as our guide and look toward the future with hope. Learn how to get your copy of Is the End Near? when you visit ltw.org. Well, we must say goodbye for this episode. But please join Dr. Michael Yusuf for more Leading the Way. And remember, you can learn more about Dr. Yusuf at ltw.org or speak with a ministry representative at 1-300-133-589, ltw.org and 1-300-133-589. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Learn more at ltw.org. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.